with another edition of the Survival Podcast. It's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is September 26, 2019. It is a Thursday. That means it's time for a listener call show. That's where you pick up your phone and you call the Think Line. The number to call is 866-65-THINK, 866-65-THINK. That's right. Call the Think Line, and you can leave your message. And uh, once you do that, it will be sent to me through the magic of the interwebs as an audio attachment, and you just might hear yourself on the survivalpodcast.com and get an answer to your question. Call from a quiet area, ask your question or make your point up front, and uh, make sure there's some bars on your phone, and that will increase your odds of being on the show. What are we going to talk about today? Well, lead-off today is not really a call. Something I felt compelled to speak on because the Director of National Intelligence was testifying in front of Congress today and because I hate myself. I listened to a little bit of it this morning and it made me want to run and, and just run as fast as I could at a brick wall and then when I got really close, look up and plant my face into it, then take a cheese grater to my face and then shove it in a vat of rubbing alcohol. That is how awful it was. But I started thinking to myself, why, why do people let these Congress crown, clowns be abusive to them. Why do they let these Congress clowns use them for making talking points? Why do they tolerate this shit? So I am going to give you, off the top of my head, what I would make as an opening statement, should I ever be asked to testify in front of the Congress clowns. Uh, and it's going to be a little game. And it's called Four Strikes to the Fifth Amendment. You might imagine where that goes. Next we have a question from a newly married man. And boy, you could tell this guy's newly married. He wants to know, how do you get your wife to leave the house on time? I'll talk about some things that you can do, and I'll also talk about a really important thing known as picking your battles as a newly married man. Um, does the left have a history of racism and violence? And did that racism just switch parties, or is it still uh, historically and currently more common on the left? It has to do with my interview with Fernando Aguirre, uh, on last week's show, so the call from a very, very long-time listener. Uh, I would say if there's probably a top ten long-time listeners club, Survivor, Surf is in Surfing Survivor, is probably in that top ten, so I'll definitely answer his question. Um, a life hack from Jason in PA on building a fruit fly trap, and I'll give you my own somewhat simplified version of it that works really good. Another life hack in dealing with cracked plastic. And if your state has constitutional carry... But they also is to issue a voluntary carry permit. What is the advantage to getting one, if any? Is it worth the headaches and the trouble and the extra time and effort to get a permit when your state says, we believe in the Constitution, so you don't need one? And then I'll give you a little bit more info on the coming 2019 fall workshop. Of course, tickets go on sale on Saturday. Let's lead off with a quote of the day. This quote of the day is by Finley Peter Dune. Now, Finley Peter Dune was an American humorist and writer. He was from Chicago. He wrote for the Chicago Post back when the Chicago Post was actually a newspaper. That means almost 100 years ago. Uh, he was best known for his column that revolved around a character that was somewhat autobiographical named Mr. Dooley. And a collection of those writings that was put together eventually called Mr. Dooley in Peace and in War. Uh, his quote that I have for you today, I, I really agree with, and it is, the past always looks better than it was. It is only pleasant 
because it isn't here. Finley Peter Dune. Um, I, I just have to say this. I think that today is a pretty amazing time to be alive. There were some pretty awesome things about this country, like even if I don't wax nostalgic beyond my own age, and that's generally where people go. They go say, well, man, it must have been really great back in the so-and-so days or whatever. And, you know, it's 100 years before they were ever born or something, so they have no firsthand knowledge. But if I look back to the 80s, there's some things about the 80s when I was a teenager that I think really in some ways were better then than they are today. I think kids were tougher. I think they were more capable of doing things on their own. People weren't tied to electronic devices. They didn't measure their worth by how they compared on social media. Um, the news, while still biased, was at least, you know, it was kind of like actual news. It wasn't complete and total propaganda. I mean, there's a, a lot to be said for the way life was in the 80s, but I wouldn't want to swap today for the 80s. Yes, uh, everybody's tethered to an electronic device, and some people are addicted to it, and some people are, you know, social media to the point where they don't even have a real life anymore. But for me, it's a way to spread my message, to spread my business, and it's a way to gather information like I was never able to do when I was a teenager and a curious teenager that wanted to know things. Um, I can run a business today from my home. I have a single piece of audio software that, you know, one feature, and it used to cost $50,000 for a piece of equipment to do that one feature. Uh, while modern medicine has done a lot of bad, it's also done a lot of good, and we have treatments for illnesses today that people are routinely cured from uh, that they died of just even back in the 1980s. Our world is getting better. We have more access to more things than we've ever had before, and I do mean things, not just information. The cost today of a 75-inch flat-screen television compares to the cost in real dollars of a 25-inch console in 1985. The computer that you carry around in your pocket that you call a phone is more powerful than the bank of computers that put a man on the moon in 1969. The past looks better than it was because it isn't here. And that's what, you know, another version of the grass is always greener. Sometimes the grass isn't just greener in the neighbor's yard. Sometimes it's greener 30 years ago, but was it really? Uh, in some ways, probably so. But in the majority of ways, no, life has gotten better and continues to do so. Next up, I want to talk to you about something that um, I, 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 I just, just, today, I in my head, came up with this. And no one will ever do it, because no one will ever have the balls to, but every single person ever called in front of the congressional clowns for a congressional hearing should. Um, our Congress does not care about the truth. And I'm not, I mean, right now, it's the Democrats that are acting the most like children, But it will not be long before the Republicans will. I mean, don't be surprised when the next president that we get that is a Democrat. And I, I've said, I think Trump will be reelected. Re but in 2024, you're going to get a Democrat. We'll have a swing back, a uh, very traditional swing back. And it'll probably swing extreme left. Don't be surprised when the main move of Republicans is to figure out how to impeach that Democratic president before they even take the oath of office. Don't be surprised. It'll be the same shit. But... I've seen this on both sides. Again, I'm almost 50 years old. I've watched this my whole life. I used to believe in this system that I now realize how stupid I was to ever believe in it. And every single time they run hearings, it's every single one of these assholes trying to get that person to say one thing that will become a soundbite on the news. That's it. That's all they're after. They're grandstanding and showboating. They constantly ask the same questions over and over. They don't expect the, accept the answer of the witness, and they talk over the witness. 
So if I, and the one thing the witness gets to do when they subpoena you to speak in front of Congress is to make an uninterrupted opening statement. Now, I would probably have an attorney go over it and polish it to make sure I'm 100% on legal ground, but I think I'm already there. And this is some version thereof of the statement I would make if I was asked to testify in front of Congress. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, I am here before you today because you have requested my presence to testify on the matter of fill-in-the-blank. This matter may or may not be important to the average American, but obviously you thought it was extremely important or I wouldn't be here and you would not be spending your time and the taxpayers' money to engage me in this conversation. As an American, it is my duty to come here and to try to help you if I can, even if I don't agree with what you're doing or why you're doing it. I make a commitment to you today that every question that I actually answer will be answered truthfully. I also make a commitment to you that every question that you ask me will be answered once. And only once. See, today we're going to play a game. You guys like to turn this into a game all the time. You've turned this this place that is supposed to be the bastion of American law and order into a clown house. And you play games all of the time. You interrupt witnesses when they're answering the question you ask. You do not allow them to clarify. You grandstand and you showboat. You constantly berate people. You ask the same questions over and over because you don't like the answers. And all you're looking for is a few moments where you'll be featured on Nightly News. I am not here to further your political career or your political agenda. I'm not even here because I want to be. I am here because you compelled me to come here. And while I do have to show up for you when you subpoena me, I am not required to answer a single question that you ask me. See, ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to play a game. That game is called Four Strikes to the Fifth Amendment. Here are the rules of the game. There is no one to appeal the rules to. I will be the final judge and arbiter of those rules. Rule one, every time you ask me a question I have already answered, I will consider it one strike. That means if the first person asks me a question and I give them an answer and they don't like it, so they repeat the question to me, which I have already clearly answered, they get a strike. Each time... Another member asks me a question I have previously answered, including rephrasing the question and asking me if it's true that I said what you know I said, what's already been recorded that I said. I will give you a warning because I'm a gracious man. I will warn you that you have broken the rule, but since you didn't ask the question yourself, maybe you missed it. If you then ask me a question again that you've already asked, or you repeat the question that I've already pointed out that I've already asked, or for a second time you ask me a question that's already been asked by another member of the committee, I will issue you a second strike. Additionally, at any time during the questioning uh, that you have for me today, if you insult my integrity or my intelligence by my own judgment, I will issue you a strike. And because I am a fair man, unlike the game of baseball, I will give you four strikes instead of three before you're out. I'm also doing that because I love numbers, and I love the fact that five comes after four. And the Fifth Amendment of our Constitution does not exist solely to protect the guilty from self-incrimination. It exists because no American is compelled to ever answer any question against their will for any reason that they choose to remain silent for. So I would like to show you something right now. I'm holding in my hand my cell phone. I have an audio app on it. This is what I'm going to do now. Because I value my voice and my time and my effort, I'm going to record the following message. I refuse to answer that question. And then I will play it back for you. 
I refuse to answer that question. As you can see, it is very easy for me to push that button and allow my phone to answer on my behalf. My behalf. Should you reach four strikes, at that point I will stand under the protections of the Fifth Amendment and I will answer every question by simply pressing the button on my phone until you get tired of playing theatrics and dismiss me and I go home. There's nothing illegal about this. There's nothing immoral about this. The Fifth Amendment, again, does not exist solely to protect the guilty. It exists to protect the rights of all Americans in all situations. And it should be used not just to protect rights, but as a weapon against the kind of, the kind of idiocy that this body partakes in in all hearings. Therefore, I am making sure that a complete transcript of my opening statement will be available at all times. And at my own expense, I am hiring a lawyer to once a month review it to make sure it remains under, under the auspices of United States law as a legal way for people to handle this type of thing. And I'm making it freely available to anybody that comes in front of your body ever again. Because the American people are tired of the people who are supposed to be solving their problems grandstanding and playing games. Now... Based on the history that this group has, Mr. Chairman, I recommend that before we proceed, you call a recess, that you bring all of your children back into a room with you, and you go over the fact, and you tell them, this guy's serious. If we actually want information, we need to play by his rules, or he's going to tell us to all go screw, and really, there's nothing we can do, or we may proceed. But I promise you, I am a man of my word. I took an oath when I came in here to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. What I have just given you is the truth. If you test me, if you force me to answer the same questions I've already answered, if you insult my integrity, if you insult me personally, or if you grandstand, each time you will receive a strike. Once you have received four strikes, my willingness to cooperate with you will have evaporated like a fart in the proverbial wind. And the only thing you will hear from me is, I decline to answer that question. Thank you. That's how I think our Congress should be handled. 100% all the time, every time, so they can stop playing games. Now, I don't think anybody has the balls to do that. But let me tr trust me, I'll tell you what. If, if for some reason, as a member of Congress or a close aide to a member of Congress, somebody sent this to you to, to point out my arrogance, if you don't think I'll do it, test me, bitches. Test me. Compel me to come speak before your body, please. And think that I will not give some version of that speech. And by the way, if you think you're just screwing with me because you know he's some redneck dumbfarmer, maybe we could actually do this. Yeah, bitches, that shit's off the top of my head. You don't know who you're screwing with. Um, and I just wonder, I wonder as I watch the director of, of, of national intelligence today stumble and bumble around while he was being abused. How do people that are supposed to be smart enough to hold some of the most powerful positions in the land not know how to stand up for themselves in front of a bunch of clowns that we call Congress people? I call them Congress clowns, and I call them ass clowns. You know why. Before we continue and hear our first question, let's go ahead and have a little blast of the ass clown circus uh, inoculation music, and then we'll roll right into our first call. Hi, Jack. Aaron from Brooklyn, New York here. Question. How do you get your wife to leave the house with a proper time schedule? Details. I'm happily married. We're happily married for 10 weeks now. 
And as a single guy, when you want to leave the house, you take your knapsack, you throw it in the car, and you leave. But as a married man, it's infinitely more complicated. Do you have any ideas on how to help out here? Have a great day. I'm glad to hear you laughing a little bit at the end of that call because I promise you that every married man, specifically every married man that's been married long term and is happily married, is laughing their ass off at you right now going, <laughs> poor bastard. This poor bastard has no idea his life is going to be like this forever. Seriously, though, there are a few things that you can try to do. There's an honest and a dishonest way to go about this. Let's start out with the dishonest way. Um, this will only work when you are the one saying what time you should leave. But we call it the Tetonio Protocol, and it really has nothing to do with my wife. My wife is fairly decent at leaving on time. It's always an effort, but it's always fairly decent. But we have a, 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 my in-laws, their last names are the Tedonios, and we have what's called the Tedonio Protocol, and it's because they are chronically late. Uh, these are the people that will be late to their own funeral, and it's all of them. It's the two kids, which are now both in college, and the, the wife and husband. And they know they're late, and so we just implement the Tedonio Protocol. If we would like them to be somewhere at 1.30, we tell them to meet us at 1.15. We just lie by 15 minutes. And then if they're early, it's no big deal. We'll be on time. We are all. I'm the believer in if you're not early, you're late. So if I tell you 1.15 and you show up at like 1.14, I promise you it will not be 1.15 and 30 seconds before I'm there too. So you just lie. So if you'd like to get out of the house by 7.45, you say, hey, hon, we're going to need to leave at 7.30 and buy yourself 15 minutes. If you need more than 15 minutes, you got other problems. The honest way would be for you to sit down and say, honey, now that we're married, we need to worry about what's important to each other. And I want to make sure that if there's something in, in your life that's important to you that I have an effect on, that you feel comfortable telling me with about it so that we can make it good for both of us. Okay? Ah, see, that's the trap. Because you'll say, well, of course. Well, then I'd like to tell you something that's really important to me. Um, it is very important to me that I am seen as a man of my word. I think that's probably why you married me. And she knows something's coming, but you're going to do this. If you do this right, dude, you're going to do it in a way where it's very difficult to argue with. So, well, yeah, okay, yeah, of course. Yeah. So when I make a commitment to somebody, you know, whether it's you that I've married or whether it's just to do something for a friend, like I honor my commitments all the time. Oh, okay, yeah. You know something's coming here. So one of the commitments that we always make to people is – that we're going to be somewhere at a specific time. And so it's very important for me that when I plan to meet people or go do something or be in a place at a certain time, that I'm either there at that time or a little bit early. That's really, really important to me. So when we're supposed to have left 15 minutes ago and we're still stuck here and we haven't left yet, it's not that I'm impatient with you. It's that I'm worried about the fact that I'm failing to meet my commitment. So... What I would like to do is, can we agree upon the fact that um, when we say a time that we're going to leave, that if you need more time, then you'll just start getting ready earlier. Now, good luck with that, doing that one, by the way. Uh, that'll work probably half the time, and the other half of the time it'll blow up in your face. So you, you might just want to employ the Tadonio protocol. Um, then there's the other thing, right? So... Um, there's two sitcoms that sprung to mind when you said this because of my weird memory where I literally remember everything from even 20 years ago that I've seen and heard. So there was an episode of uh, Everybody Loves Raymond where Raymond talked about something called the ass and seat rule. And he told Deborah, his wife in the show, that his dad had the ass and seat rule. And the way the ass and seat rule worked is 
You don't get any, hey, hurry up, come on, let's go. No harassment whatsoever. And But the way the ass and seat rule works is I say we're leaving at 10.15. And at 10.15 and one second, if you're not in the car or at least I can't see you on the way to the car, your ass is not in the seat and I leave without you. And in the episode, she agrees to this, and she like kills herself to be on time for once, and everything goes wrong, and he doesn't really want to, you could tell, but then he does leave her. So you could employ the ass in seat rule, but I don't advise that. Another sitcom that sprung to mind, not having anything to do with being late, but having to do with marital relations, was The 70s Show. And Kitty, who's the mom of Eric Foreman, the, one of the main characters in the show, is advising another one of the main kid characters named Jackie. Is she's you know it's boyfriends and stuff like that, and dealing with relationship issues. And at some point, Jackie wants her boyfriend—I don't remember if it was Kelsel or Michael or whichever one she was dating at the time—to uh, do something. And it wasn't really that big of a deal, and it was something else she wanted more. And Kitty said, "Pick your battles." Well, I suggest you pick your battles. So. If you're going out to eat and you don't have a reservation and it doesn't really matter what time you get there and you want to leave now just because, well, it's time to leave now, shut up and don't fight that one. If you have a place you need to be, then you don't make it about her being slow. You make it about we need to meet our commitment, right? You pick your battles here. And a little bit of intellectual dishonesty with just saying you need to leave earlier than you do is probably not a bad idea either. But in the end, get used to it. Because there's a reason there's a song called Waiting on a Woman, and there isn't one called Waiting on a Man. I'm just saying. Now, there are men who are chronically late, and there are women who are not. It's less common. I defy you to prove it otherwise, but it is. it does happen. I will acknowledge it. Everything I just said goes the same way in reverse, ladies. If you have the chronically late husband, you just flip that advice around. The worst thing in the world, though, is the chronically late couple. Those are the ones that, as a third party, again, employ what I call the Titonio Protocol. With that, let's take another one. Hey, Jack. Uh, this is Survivor. Um, you made an interesting point about leftist violence while I was talking to Fernando and um one thing I, I have not really understood and I've pondered is, um, you know, the uh, the Klan and everything in the South. Um, well, they used to be Democrats, but uh, Dinesh D'Souza, they they had this whole thing about it was all swapped later on and they all became Republican or something. And But Dinesh D'Souza made an interesting point that uh, a lot of the Dixiecrats did within the Democratic Party. And a number of Democrats were former Klansmen. But I, I've never quite really understood all that because not everything Dennis D'Souza says totally makes sense to me either. So I find it interesting, but I, I don't understand it. But uh, something to think about, and uh, regardless of whether you put the question on the air or not. Um, <clears throat> so, anyways, yeah, um, interesting show there with Fernando. Okay. All right, so I'm speaking strictly from opinion here. I try to be very clear when I'm giving my opinion of something other than, you know, verifiable facts. There's a lot of actual verifiable fact I could use to support my opinion here, but I'm going to keep this a little bit light for a Thursday afternoon. But the the left, and specifically in our country, the Democratic Party, has always been a, a party that was the first to violence. They are not that much different today than they were 100 years ago. 
Um, the Democrats were a progressive party in the late 1800s and early 1900s, before, during, and after Prohibition, okay? Um, before, during, and after the Great Depression. The Democrats have always been leftist. The Democrats have always been quick to violence. And the Democrats have always been, in one form or another, the most racist of the two parties. I didn't say the Republicans aren't racist because racism is a human condition. And most people have some degree of racism within themselves. And I believe good, honest people strive their best to eliminate as much of it as they can from their lives. I mean, that's where it is. So there are racist Republicans, of course. But the party that constantly brings up race and always puts race in the front of the issue while in the 1920s they were using it to try to exclude people, and now they're using it to do it to try to use people, is the left. It is the left. There was no switch from Democrat to Republican. That's not a thing. That's, it's, it's a mythology. When it comes to actual ideology, there may be some people that moved. Maybe the South is a little more Republican than it used to be. The North is a little more Democrat than it used to be. But people didn't change their parties based on the party's ideology shifting. Nor did people move to another party and shift the party's ideology. That's not what happened. What actually shifted was the Democrats moved from a viewpoint that was highly nationalist to a viewpoint that was highly globalist. But they kept their racism under new auspices, uh, and they kept their socialism and progressivism with them when they made the move from being a very nationalist-focused group to being a globalist-focused group. The Republicans moved from a very libertarian viewpoint. Now, when I say libertarian, I mean small L, not libertarian party, and I don't mean really good adherence to it, but the Republican Party, prior to this shift, was very much the anti-war party. They stood in opposition to all the wars because they weren't nationalists. Now, don't take nationalism to equal fascism, right? Nationalism simply means a national-level focus. Republicans in the past, back before this big shift you're talking about that happened over about 30 years, it didn't happen like overnight the way people think that it did, were very much the party that did not want war, that didn't want to interfere with other nations, They felt we should just leave everybody alone and mind our own damn business. They both had problems, and they still have massive problems on both sides. I don't pick one of those sides. I will not be part of that false dichotomy. I'm telling you the way that I feel things were, and I believe history is a good supporter of the fact that I'm right. So the Republicans moved from a position of libertarianism, leave people the hell alone, to the nationalism that the Democrats had, which is interventionists, the neocons, right? And the Democrats kept everything they had and then became globalists, where not only did they want to interfere with other nations because they thought it was better for their country, they actually wanted to act like, be like, and integrate with other nations into some sort of a cabal that mimics a one-world governance. Both are awful. Both are moving in the wrong direction. It isn't that they switched. They both slid toward greater intervention in the lives of people, one at a nationalist level that, in, it, that employs a globalist strategy. So you don't think it's going to be, because I didn't get it. It's the Republicans that want to bomb the shit out of everything. First of all, not true. 
Both parties bomb the shit out of everybody. You know, Obama made no effort to get out of the wars that Bush started, even though he said he would. Period. Didn't happen. And when Trump is like a little bit looked to get us out of war, the whole machine flips out both sides to support bombing people. But what is the reasoning behind the bombing of people? The Republican Party of today bombs people due to what they perceive as national interests, and the, 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 the Democrat Party bombs people due to what they perceive as global interests. And I don't mean the like because the people at the top, they're the same. There's no difference at all. It's just paint and marketing. I'm talking about the, the, mo the massive mob, the average person that will vote Democrat if it's a Labrador retriever, and the, and the average person that will vote Republican if it's, a, if it's a Cocker Spaniel. They don't really care. They're that mindless, and they follow their party that much. They have been sold on intervention in the world, either for our interest or for the interest of the whole world. If that sounds stupid, it is. It's, it's, it's idiotic. The mindset that the majority of the people in this country used to have, the non-interventionist mindset, the stay-out-of-foreign-wars mindset, the leave-everybody-alone mindset, let's see to ourselves and let them see to themselves. And we don't need to be obstructionists. We don't need to be protectionists. If they want to employ some sort of economic strategy, we need to be up for free trade with everybody. I think there was a founder that said something about this. Hmm. He said something like, commerce with all and alliances with none? Gee, his name was what? Jefferson. Yeah, I know he was flawed. He didn't carry through on what he said when he became president. No one does. Gee, Jack, why are you an anarchist? I don't know. Right? Okay? But that's, that's the shift that's happened. The propensity for violence has always been more common on the left because the left seeks greater control. And if you are a leftist, you can't deny what I just said about the control part. There is no doubt that the left seeks greater control of society. The left wants more regulation of everything. Regulation is control, so the left wants more control. That is not an opinion. That is fact. Yes, the right wants lots of control. I just said the left wants more. Doesn't mean the right's good. It means the right wants lots of control. The more control you want, the more violence you will have to use, because the more you try to control, the more you step outside of what's voluntary, and when you move into what's involuntary, and people do not want to do it, many of them will fail to comply, and therefore you will have to use force. That is violence. And when your leaders use force in the form of policing, it is only natural that the followers begin to use force in the form of mob tactics. So it's not that Republicans, I'm talking about general population Republicans, are not capable of mob-like action or horrible things. It's the propensity for violence is higher on the left because of a greater desire to control other people. And that's just the way it is. And I know you can point to places on the right that they want to control people, but they really don't. They're just misguided in the way that they come across a lot of times. For instance, if you look at gay marriage, Republicans are not for making gay people not be together. They're not for not letting people live together like husband and husband or wife and wife. They were opposed to a legal recognition of it, which doesn't prevent you from living any particular way. It's still a form of control. It's still wrong. It's why I became a minister and said, I'll marry anybody that wants to get married until they pass the law and made this stuff go away, because I believe in freedom, even if I disagree with how you choose to use it. That's actual freedom. That's actual 
true libertarianism. But the Democrat wants more control. They just don't want to allow those two people to get married, as though government should even have the right to decide who can and can't in the first place. They want to force you to be part of it when you don't want to. So who wants more control? You see what I'm saying? And the more control you want, the more violence you're going to get. And the more control you want, the more pressure points you will exercise. So you will use divisions of people like class warfare to get what you want since what you want is control. And oh gee, there it is, race. So now that's another leverage point. So there are going to be a higher racist ideology even when they think they're helping. I think the average Democrat in America, again, not in government, not in positions of power, the average Democrat in America truly is not at heart a racist at their core. Because I don't believe the average American is. I think most people aren't racist today. There's racism in all people, but there is anger in all people. But you're not generally anger. You see what I mean? People tend to gravitate toward people like themselves. It's a human condition that we have to struggle against as we become a more integrated society. And we should struggle. It's noble to do so. But when you're sitting here telling me that we need to give this person 20 more points on their test score so they can get into college due to the color of their skin, you are the racist, not me. You're inferring that that person, simply due to their race, is not capable of the academic level of performance that I am because I'm white. And you're also saying that they deserve an advantage over me when we're competing for the same thing. I'm not the racist. You are. The left is more racist, seeks more control, and as a result, has more violence. It's my opinion, but I defy you to prove me wrong. Let's take another one. Hi, this is Jason from PA with a hack for Jack. Um, I wound up having a bag of tomatoes and whatnot and vegetables left for about a week that I didn't realize. My mom had put them in a bag, hung them on a little doorknob to go out and... Well, yeah, fruit flies galore. I tried the little, you know, $7 cute little strawberry fruit fly thing. So it's a, those work for a while, but then you got to buy the filler stuff. Finally said, forget it, went back to my old faithful. Take a one or two liter soda bottle, cut the top off, but make sure you cut it right where it becomes straight, flip it back over, use a little tape, and you basically have a cone that's inverted. You drop in a little banana peel, tomato, whatever the fruit flies are loving at the moment, pour a little vinegar, soda, whatever, and basically they go in and they get stuck. And they smell that wonderful vinegar, rotting fruit stuff, goes right in, and they get stuck. They swish it around a bit, and then after a while you just throw it out. It's a cheap uh, way to catch fruit flies, and I think almost everyone has a soda bottle. So, yeah, that works. Let me tell you what I'd do, and it would probably work using his method as far as a bait. Um, but we had really bad fruit fly problems this last year and the year before. And uh, what we came up with was just take a normal glass, like a pint glass, and we fill that uh, with water, about two-thirds up, and we put in a tablespoon of a fruit vinegar of some sort. Fruit vinegar seems to work better. Uh, and then a tablespoon of sugar and mix it up till the sugar dissolves. And then put a drop or two of dish soap on the top of it and just set it somewhere where flies are. And they plunge in there and they get in the water. And the soap breaks the surface tension so they kind of 
sink. And it's really weird, too, because, you know, because you're using, like, a fruit vinegar and all, it's usually a dark-colored liquid. So you'll look in there, and you might see, like, one kind of floating or something, and you're like, man, I'm... and you pick it up and hold it up to the light, and there's just tons of them on the bottom. And we tried so many things, and, you know, getting rid of the root cause, et cetera, is a good idea. But what finally blew the population down to the point where it became unsustainable and they went away was those traps. So either trap works just fine. You can cut a bottle or uh, personally, my experience was the glass worked really good because the mouth is very wide and you don't have that narrow neck of the bottle. So it's a really big time aroma. And simply by the, the, the fly having to go a couple inches down inside the glass to get to that wonderful aroma they're looking for, well... They go in there really, really easy. And trust me, once they touch the liquid, they don't come out. So, good life hack. I am looking for your life hacks. We have another life hack uh, coming up here in just a second. But if you'd like to call in with a life hack, uh, prepper hack, anything you want, I'd love to hear you. So, call the, the, the uh, Think Line. Do it this week, 866-65-THINK. Hey, Jack. Joshua here from Gander Flight on YouTube, calling in with a quick hack. Say you drop one of the black and yellow totes that you and Stephen Harris love for bug-out trailers and develop a crack. You can stop this from spreading by drilling a small hole at each end of the crack as a relief point. I found that step drill bits work perfectly for these repairs, and it will allow you to stop the plastic from cracking any further. I recently recorded a video of this hack on my YouTube channel, and will email you the link to provide as a visual as well. Thanks for all you do. Good hack. It's it, I, I don't think it's really a permanent repair type thing. And usually when plastic cracks, it's because it's begun to become brittle. Uh, because even when they say it's UV stabilized, it's not. Um, but it definitely will make something last longer. And I think if you added to it once you've done the pressure relief that the drilling creates, uh, some sort of a quality adhesive tape or adhesive fabric or some other means of repair, I think it would work even better. But hey. That's another great one, and it's a good thing to know. And a lot of times, you know, being able to make something last a couple more weeks even gives you time to actually get a replacement for it or maybe even be able to repair it where it lasts a lot longer than it would have because, um, yeah, this I looked at the, the video, and I have a link in the show notes today. Uh, what he says not only works, but it will work for you, and it's really easy. And it's one of those little pieces of knowledge that you just don't even realize is valuable until you know it, and then until you implement it. And if we keep building up this life hacks segment and start keep bringing it, imagine how much this audience can know a year from now that it would have never known if people didn't share their little hacks. So I encourage you, call in your hacks, 866-65-THINK. Real quick calls, easy ones to make and easy ones to cover. Let's take another one. Hey, Jack, this is Patrick out in Kansas, TSP member, and I've been listening to your show for quite a while. My question up front is this. In a constitutional carry state that doesn't require a concealed carry license, is there a reason to get the concealed carry license? More background. I'm a new gun owner. I recently purchased a small 9mm Glock uh, about a year ago, and it was based on listening to the show primarily. During that time, I've been able to shoot with some of my friends. I've done training as well as taken enough courses to get the concealed carry license if I need to get it. But in Kansas, it's not required. It's just an option. It's really inconvenient to get it. You have to go to the sheriff's office between the hours of 10 and 11 on Mondays. 
in order to get it. And I just don't know if it's really that beneficial. So I thought I'd call in and see what your thoughts are. Thanks for everything you do. Bye. So let's look at this from two viewpoints. Within your state, which I have limited knowledge of, but I can give you some things to consider, and outside of your state, which I have a definite opinion on. Okay, so within your state. I don't know your state, and I don't know your state laws, and I really appreciate the fact that your state recognizes the right of individuals to keep and bear arms. Bear is an important word there, and it should not be ignored uh, by our government. And our government should not infringe on the right to keep and or bear arms. Concealed or open carry should be legal at all times, period, unless specifically specified by the person that controls a property that you're entering. So if somebody says, I don't want you to carry guns in my store, I may choose to shop in a different store, but I respect their right to do that because I actually believe in freedom. So the question you have to ask within your state is, are there any circumstances under which you cannot legally carry where you could legally carry if you had a permit? Are there certain government buildings or things like that where you can't carry But you could carry. There are places now where, for instance, they allow college students to carry on campus, which makes perfect sense since that same license to carry college student is carrying at the shopping mall in the movie theater. I mean, if they can carry at the shopping mall, the movie theater, their brother's Little League game, etc., saying they can't carry on campus is really stupid. Okay, But I can see where a state would say, We're going to plant past campus carry, but it's only for concealed carry holders, even though we have constitutional carry. I'm not saying I agree with it. I can see where that would happen. That would be an instance where I could see that. So within your state, I would simply find out, is there any place that that permit lets you carry where you can't already carry? Is it standard that maybe businesses uh, say that they don't want you to carry without a state permit because they feel safer with that assurance? Something like that. And there may be nothing, or there may be something. And so that's for you to determine because you live in your state and I don't I don't honestly have that much of an interest in your state. I'm sorry, I don't. I'm not putting it down. It's just like it's not something I, I can't learn every state's laws, so I'm not going to try to learn ones except for the one I live in and the ones that I go to. And I haven't been to your state in a very long time and have no plans. Sorry. Okay, I'm not, I'm not picking on you. Now, let's talk about outside of your state. If you leave your state frequently, and maybe you should, I'm, I'm kidding, because I cannot put your state down when they're smarter than my state about guns. Just a, I had to throw that joke in there. If you frequently leave your state, and you do so specifically in your vehicle, and you spend time in other states, or if you might spend time in other states that have reciprocity with your state, the main reason the states that don't require a permit started issuing them was for reciprocity. And this would be the number one reason you'd want to consider doing it. So, for instance, my state has reciprocity, I believe, with your state. And if you were coming here, like you were going to drive to our workshop for our fall workshop and hang out with us, and you wanted to be armed while you're in Texas, and not only armed in your vehicle while you're traveling, which in most places you can do that anyway, um, especially traveling interstate, right? on the highways and sort of not hanging out and having a gun under your seat or something. You got to, again, check the laws of every state you're passing through. But you were like, I'm going to go to Jacksonville and then I'm going to like hang out for a week and like get a hotel in downtown Fort Worth and do cool stuff because there is cool stuff to do in Fort Worth and Dallas. And you're like, I want to be armed during that period of time. Well, my state requires a permit. The fact that your state doesn't, doesn't matter to my state. 
So by having your state's officially issued permit, my state has reciprocity that recognizes your permit. So the number one reason to get a permit in a state that doesn't require it for the purpose of carrying would be so that you could carry in other states through reciprocity. Um, and it's odd how some of the states do it. Like, I do know Vermont, because I've been there. Basically, you go to your, your chief law enforcement officer for your area, and they issue you a permit. And I've seen one that was no more than a note from the chief that was photocopied and stamped in the guy's wallet. It was like falling apart, but that was his permit. Um, it's, and it was easy to get. In other places, it's more difficult. Even when you could carry without it, they make it difficult. But that's the determination that you have to make. Will you need the reciprocity component to it? Because if not, then... Now, I don't think this applies to your state because you didn't say it, but I do believe there are states where open carry is legal without a permit, but concealed requ carry requires a permit. Because the mentality in those areas is the person that has the gun openly carried is not up to anything. Which, that actually kind of makes sense. But the person that's concealed may or may not be up to something because the person that's going to do something bad with their gun doesn't want you to know that they have it until they do so. Which, again, that makes sense. There was a lot of that in this country at one time. You could carry open but not concealed. So that would be the other in-state condition. Is there something like you can carry open but not concealed or concealed but not open without a permit? So those are your only reasons for that that I know of. Um, let's take uh, – well, we don't have another one. I just – now I need to talk to you guys about our fall workshop a little bit. Uh, I put out a video uh, this morning and a post on the blog that goes over the construction project that we're doing on the Thursday that talks about the gardens and stuff like that. Um, so I don't want to go into that again because the video is there for you to see it. I do want to remind you that our workshop uh, goes on sale Saturday at 9 Central. If you're an MSB member, you get first crack. You get all weekend to sign up, but you may not get all weekend. We have had workshops that sell out over two to four days. We have workshops that have sold out in under 50 minutes. And you never know what it's going to be, right? Sometimes they sell out, but when I look at who's coming and people that are getting Ubers, people that are coming as a couple or carpooling, and there's less cars, then I can add more tickets. And then there's a second chance to get tickets. But if you want to be sure you can come, you need to get up Saturday morning and log in. I wanted to give you a little bit of what we're doing as far as the food. Because I promise you, it's cool, but it's better if you know. And if you've come a lot and you're kind of used to some of the standards, we're changing some things up. So first day breakfast, we, we don't do a full breakfast the first day. Uh, we kind of get off to a quick early start. And so we do coffee and breakfast bars and fruit and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of people show up that day they've already eaten because they don't show up the Wednesday before. Uh, but we do kind of a light continental-style breakfast for the first day. So if you want more than that, we ask you to feed yourself for that morning. Uh, we're going to do the project briefing and get to work on it. We're going to have a lot of other cool stuff going on uh, that I, that's kind of bonus material during that day. Uh, but for lunch, we're doing a build-a-burger buffet. So we're going to do an awesome Angus beef burger. And then we're going to have a full fixings buffet. So we thought that would be cool, especially on a day where people are working outside. It's going to be cool weather because we're going to be in November by then and stuff. And then dinner, we're going to have what we usually do. We do rotisserie chicken. We kind of give the, the staff an easy first day to get into motion with this. So we'll do rotisserie chicken insides. And then we're having a surprise event Thursday night. I can't tell you what it is. Moving on to Friday. Friday's our big kind of like party day. 
hanging out outside, multiple courses, things like that. Breakfast, we're going we're gonna to go off keto, though there'll be a way to kind of sort of stay there if you want to, uh, but our, we're doing biscuits and gravy. So if you do the biscuit, it's not going to be keto paleo at all. But the gravy, we're actually going to have two gravies, a typical gravy, and we're going to do a keto gravy that's actually really awesome. Uh, and those are going to be done with egg, maple sausage, that's maple sausage is one thing, cheese and potato, I'm calling them bites, I guess. They're like little loaves, like, like you know, like uh, Starbucks is the egg bites now. They're like a lot bigger than that, like a little loaf that has uh, the hash browns on the bottom and, and all the stuff. And we'll probably do some without potatoes um, for those that want to stay, you know, high protein, high fat, low carb. Uh, we'll have a few of those on the site. So that's going to be breakfast. Uh, then Nick Ferguson is doing a presentation. I don't know exactly what his topic's going to be yet, uh, but he's crowdsourcing that on Facebook. And that's, to be honest with you, Nick's presentation is to keep you guys out of my face and out of David's face as we get ready for a hell of a day out on the out on the patio, out on the outdoor kitchen. Uh, we did it. John Dowie did the presentation last year, and, and when I said to David, you know, we had Dowie, he goes, and it worked because we have a lot to get into motion to be able to take care of you guys. So you guys will have breakfast, and then you'll hear a great topic from Nick Ferguson, who always does a great presentation. Have a little bit of a break, and then you'll come out onto the, the patio where my, my huge, beautiful outdoor kitchen is. And we'll start out with a Bloody Mary bar, controlled by master mixologist David. right? And then we'll move into the food. And each, we're going to have four courses this year, each focused on a different thing with a matched paired cocktail. Don't worry, the cocktails will be small. You don't, we won't be sloshed by the end of this. And we have like a really filling, carbtastic dinner idea, right, for you at the end of the day to suck up that alcohol. So we'll be totally breaking um, high protein, high fat, keto, low carb, whatever you want to say this night, but it'll probably be a good idea because of the, the alcohol that will flow. This is a party. So we're going to start out with lamb sliders, and I've talked about the Ross El Hanout seasoning, the Moroccan seasoning. That's what we're going to season the lamb sliders with. And the, the theme of that is going to be herbed, and there will be a cocktail that pairs with something that's highly herbed in seasoning. Okay? What? I don't know. It's up to David. David controls the drinks. Then we will move on to fish and chips featuring fish that I, David, and Nicole Sauce went out and caught ourselves for you. So we're going to do a fried fish and chips. It's going to be like a single piece of fish and a small amount of twice-fried fries. And once you try a twice-fried fry, if you ever eat a French fry, you will insist that it be fried twice. It's going to be awesome. And that will be paired with a drink that goes perfectly with those. Then we're going to move on to spiced. We'll be back into the keto world as we're going to be doing a Szechuan beef skewer using real Szechuan peppercorns. This is going to be awesome, and it's going to kind of blow you away if you've never had true Szechuan beef before. Then, from there, we will move to a smoked course. These will be done with a chicken leg that is a smoke-infused, roasted chicken leg that's made on the rack that I always recommend on T-Spas, where they're, they're cooked, they're air-cooked. The skin is going to be amazing. There's going to be something that goes on those chicken legs, a sauce, actually two sauce options. And it'll be up to you what you use. Everybody get a whole chicken leg. And there will be a smoked cocktail paired with that. Then, as kind of a little interlude before dinner, we're going to have some homemade cheese 
that comes from Nicole Awesome Sauce. Then for dinner, thought bars this time seemed like a good idea. Like we're going to do a burger bu buffet bar the first day. We're going to do a baked potato bar that night. Now with all of my talk of not eating too much carbs, why would we do that? Because we're going to serve you booze all day, and then we're going to have barter blanket, and there's going to be booze there, and it's a party, and it's okay to have a party, and out of all the days, it's only the one real day like this, and you have another day that you can recover, and you can eat as much fat and meat as you want and come back around. But with all that booze, we thought having something like that would really help kind of balance the body a little bit by sucking it up. Right? And you won't have to have a potato if you want. The, 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 the Fixins bar is going to have chili and a bunch of other really cool stuff. So, yeah, we'll do that. Then we're going to have lots of other bonus stuff worked in that day. And we'll move on to Barter Blanket. What happens at Barter Blanket? Well, people exchange things. That's all you get to know. You don't get to know shit about Barter Blanket unless you come to the workshop. Moving on to Saturday. Saturday is going to be more of our educational day. We're going to build financial and entrepreneurial IQ on this day. Breakfast, we're going to do egg and bacon breakfast tacos. And I, if I can make enough without killing myself, I may have quite a few of the low-carb uh, tortillas available, at least for people to try one. Or you can just eat egg and bacon and eggs by itself, which is probably what I'm going to do that day to recover from the awful abuse I will give my body on that Saturday. Um, then we're going to move into presentations. We may change the order, but we're going to have two presentations in the morning, two in the afternoon, and an expert panel discussion. I am going to promote on monetizing or present on monetizing your life. How do you monetize your life? How do you live the life you're living right now and have more money? I'm kind of good at that, and I'm going to tell you how you can do it. I'm going to give you lots of ideas instead of just the same old everyday ideas to how you can monetize your life. And then David, my buddy David, who's a master mixologist, is also a master salesman. He's going to do a presentation called Selling Everything from Yourself to Multi-Million Dollar Contracts. He's a top salesman in his company, and guess what? He's not a salesman. But he negotiated an incentive contract, and he throws business over the fence while he project manages, and that makes him a hell of a lot more money than if he just did his job. Well, you might need to do something like that and monetize your life. Or you may just need to be better at selling yourself into opportunities or promotions. You'll be able to learn how to do all of that from David. John Pugliano, love John Pugliano, man. I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I got a great presentation. It's going to be called Make America Great Again. What? Has John become a dyed-in-the-wool Republican? No, no. It's going to be called Make America Great Again with Robots. The coming automation revolution and how America can still be great in a world where jobs are being eliminated and how you can participate in that and do really well. And then Nicole Sauce is going to present how to craft your brand and why you should. Will that brand be a business brand or a personal brand? Then we're going to have an expert panel discussion. Dinner is going to be brisket, black pepper sausage, cowboy beans, and more. And then... Nick and I will be doing, and maybe some other people will be involved, a tour of the world of some sort of alcoholic beverages. We've thought about doing beer, and we might, but we've also thought about maybe doing spirits. And don't worry, we won't get you tanked out of your mind unless you choose to do it to yourself. It will be a tasting. But our booze circles, our booze social circles have become a real hit, 
And I promise you, yes, it's $500. Yes, it's multiple days of your life. But I keep telling you, the people that come to this, they come back year after year after year. I've had people say, you know what? I come here because all my friends are here. Think about that. I don't know how we managed to make this what it is, other than I went to a lot of other like permaculture and bushcraft and stuff workshops before we started doing it, and I looked at everything that I would have complained about if I was a complainer, and instead of complaining to the people running them, I just decided not to do them here. And then you guys are just awesome. The community is awesome in itself, and it's turned into something amazing. I invite you to be part of it. Please, if you want to be part of it, don't miss your chance Saturday morning. And remember, I don't hard sell this because I need to sell I have never not sold one out. I hard sell it because I want people who otherwise wouldn't have come to take the step and get to experience it because it is that awesome. It really is that awesome. That wraps things up, and we're ready for our song of the day. Song of the day today as we continue on Blind Singers Week is by Stevie Wonder. And if I bet if I say blind singer, you start imagining blind singers, you can see Stevie with his kind of rocking back and forth movement or whatever, especially if you're my age or older, right? Uh, the song we have, because Stevie has so many hits, is called Superstition. Superstition actually fits as a great song for today, even though it was released in 1973. Now, in 1973, Stevie Wonder was talking about actual superstitions, like not letting a black cat cross your path or walking under a ladder. And basically what this song is really about, using those metaphors, is how ignorance can hurt you. The fact that you believe in something that you don't understand, and you take actions based on something that you don't understand, which therefore might not be true, can hurt you. Gee, does that sound like good advice for 2019 to you? How many people believe in the bullshit of government or the bullshit of industry about pick your subject, but if you said, sit down right now, don't use Google, and explain this issue to me in layman's terms that demonstrates to me that you have a commanding understanding of this thing that you believe would go, well, you're just stupid, and everybody knows, and they would not be, and they would be angry because they would not be able to simply articulate the thing that they're so passionate about their belief in because they don't really understand it. It might as well be a religion or a superstition. How many people did you think of in your life that fit that description? And not only can you hurt yourself by believing in things that you don't understand and making bad decisions, but when you add the force of government to it, The belief of the masses in things that they don't understand can be used to do great harm to thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions, or hundreds of millions of people because of superstition. And do you know, good friends, do you know what we refer to is something that a person believes, but they do not understand? Something that a person believes that they cannot explain. Something that a person believes but they do not have actual knowledge of it, they just believe it, well, we call that faith. And faith is a fine way to run a religion. It is an awful way to run a government. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. 